Luke, it's been a while since backgrounds. I can see that you're out of the house and into an office up there in Brisbane. Uh, yes, I am actually. Um, we just took on a great space in Fortitude Valley. So, uh, yes, I am spending a lot of time driving between the Sunshine Coast and Brisbane, but it's great. How's life going with yourself? Oh, well, looking very sharp. You've got a new hairdo. I like it. I know. I have gone and got some style put into it. It's it's taken the long locks of COVID and preserved them. I think is, that was my brief to the brief to the barber. Uh, yeah. Well, it's uh, very busy times in Sydney. Reopening has gone well. I think I would, mm-hmm. I would suggest. There's definitely appetite, and uh, and my life has gone uh, similarly very busy trying to keep up with all the things that you know can support that and hopefully build for what everyone is hoping for will be a brighter 2022 obviously i haven't had the opportunity to go to sydney for a while now what's that uh what's the vibe what's going on i think it's a bit like the last period of trade prior to lockdown in that the very popular places are you know pretty well booked in terms of F&B and particularly Fridays nights, Saturday nights kind of thing. There's been a few new openings which um, I'm really excited about. Old Culture in Newtown, I went and checked out. Uh, cool. And then Totties in um, Roselle's just opened up, I think. And then of course very much looking forward to uh, Hickson House in the next few weeks, I think down in the rocks there. Mm-hmm. So I guess uh, I mean, I don't want to give in to hope but like, you know, Sydney's always got that ambition hasn't it for um a brighter future about it i always think and good operators who are able to like staff up and deliver product will will do well i guess staffing luke is the thing that you can't go a day without a discussion on it and and the shortage and that's very much real life what's that what are you seeing on that front i think listeners will be interested oh mate to be honest i'm probably seeing the same thing that everyone is seeing it's pretty insane uh the shortfall everywhere I mean, Sydney and Melbourne are definitely right in the weeds when it comes to finding enough staff. It's it's very hard to escape insight into the problem in terms of uh, just the volume of content that's out there trying to garner interest from candidates, from talent. It's um it's just crazy. Businesses are really struggling. I know now I've anecdotally businesses in Melbourne who just are delaying opening even till next right. year purely as a result of staffing issues unable to deal with demand around Christmas events people wanting you know individuals or businesses wanting to book Christmas functions and just not being able to accept any bookings because they purely can't staff for them and look unfortunately it's going to get worse a lot worse I think before it gets better you know accommodation has yet to open I don't know if you're on the I was on the um, advisory chat for the AHIS um, conference for next year uh, and you know amongst the, all the leaders within the accommodation sector staffing was was the number one topic and you know you've got hotels that are opening their F&B into a market that is already absolutely starved of talent so and then you've got stadiums and you've got all these other sort of large-scale um, businesses that are still yet to open so it's it's yeah it's going to be tough but um, there's still plenty of people taking jobs and people moving around it's just a very closed talent pool that's not having many people added to it so yeah i don't know mate it's uh, it's hard seeing the businesses struggle but fingers crossed borders can open soon and maybe see some relief that way i think that's probably the only real way we're going to see it come yeah that's uh one thing that i think people are looking towards and you know but i think that as we talked about we've all got to work better to have this sector do a good job of selling you know itself as a as an employer of choice really um i think that's really the the structural fix that um 
uh, we we need to work on. But anyway, look, uh, let's uh, get into today's interview. Who is with Soren from Work Club? Yeah, so Soren um, had a relationship with him for a, a little while now. He's, um, I guess, when I first heard about their business, I didn't really know what to expect, if I'm honest. But very quickly after entering one of their sites in Sydney, it's exceptionally impressive. You know, just for, even just from an aesthetic fit out perspective, you walk into one of their sites and it feels like you're in a very high quality traditional food and beverage environment. But they, Soren's a really interesting guy. He's, he's got some pretty forward thinking ideas around how to create environments, spaces that um, I guess integrate work and life and you know that, that facilitate people connecting and, and sharing ideas and thoughts and, and I guess really just trying to add value to people that come into their sphere but using that I guess place of work um, environment as, 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 a, as a means to do that. So yeah, look, really interesting guy. I've been wanting to get him on to this podcast for a really long time. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to hear what he has to say. Let's do it. Mate, thanks for joining us. Do you want to give a, everyone, we'll obviously have introduced you um, uh, in the lead-in, but um, in your own words, do you want to give us a bit of uh, the Soren backstory? Soren Trambedak. I was uh, born in Denmark a long time ago. I left when I was 18, just for a couple of months, to London, but uh, never went back. I've had about 10 stops before coming to Australia, I think in 2005 around the world, most continents, and uh, then ended up in Australia. Didn't really want to go here, but was pushed into it a little bit. Uh, had a great time up in Asia, in China, before coming down here. Um, and sort of in, in the earlier years, I, I did my own thing, and then I ended up in a big sort of global organization. And then around sort of 2010, I jumped out and, and started my own thing again, and have been doing that since. So Work Club was uh, an idea I actually came up with in 2005 and uh, it was kind of lying in the drawer, didn't do anything about it until 2012-13 when I felt it was either going to be now or it was going to be too late. Um, And the whole idea around Work Club was really more sort of philosophical idea initially. It was around creating a space with as many different kind of industries and disciplines represented as possible. And that idea comes from a theory I have around Da Vinci, Florence, the Renaissance period, and how he was very conscious around who he's around himself with back then. Um, as the very short version. But essentially, I wanted to create a space with as many different kind of industries and disciplines as possible. And then started thinking about how would that need to look and feel and smell and what kind of experiences would you overlay the physical place with to create meaningful encounters and conversations and some friction as well. So that's how it started seven, eight years ago. Um, And as we have grown and evolved, uh, probably two, three years ago, we said, well, what if we apply the same principles of how we connect people within our own clubhouses to people within entire buildings or precincts. 
and that's that's how we end up doing the the idea for for the new Melbourne site that we we opened about a year ago, which was really for the first time where we would manage an entire building from a people perspective, and we started talking about connected human ecosystems and. Our passion is really today, how do we connect people better within these ecosystems of either entire buildings or precincts? And we use spaces for that. We use workspaces, we use uh, conference events facilities, we use quite a lot of F&B and services. And all of those physical locations we overlay with a set of experiences that we call Florence Guild, which is really designed to connect just not just our members, but members and, and tenants and, and either the wider public into a precinct. So we want to be the smarter buildings or precincts from a human perspective, from a people perspective. There's been a lot of focus on uh, the smarter buildings from an operational perspective, from a, using tech, which is great. But we see those two hand in hand creating a lot stronger precincts ecosystems where um, you create a sense of belonging essentially where people want to be because they want to not because they have to i've got i've got a couple of questions i want to ask you um so there's the um and i like that word you use friction uh, in terms of, I guess, if I heard you correctly, and I suppose it's uh, maybe, uh, is that in the context of exchange of ideas uh, as opposed to everyone nodding in agreement with each other um, <coughs> and group think sometimes, I suppose, maybe? Is that fair? Yeah, totally. I mean, um, most of the sort of shared workspaces that existed in the early days was really all around focusing on um uh, individual in, or industries, you know, certain industries where you would really, uh, you know, graphic designers or creatives or whatever it was, was working in the same spaces. And I, I felt that was really a missed opportunity. I wanted to create a place with as many different kind of industries and disciplines as possible, because often that's where you uh, get new ideas of friction or you hear about things that you're just not aware of in your own little world. And particularly, uh, you know, the speed of change in any industry. Today, if you if you're too isolated in your own silo, you're just not going to know what's around the corner, and and you're not going to see it. It's like one plus one equals three, I guess. And in and the other idea that I guess, uh, and this is going to take us into straight into the impact of COVID, I suppose. But like in terms of those ecosystems you're describing, Siren, and very much the physical and experience element, uh, I guess at one point would have meant one thing and now in context of remote working and uh, virtual uh, meetings, like how does that, um, your thinking being expanded or the, the businesses shifted as a result of, I guess, the reality of COVID? I think the, uh, there's two sides. So there's a physical space side, which is changing. That physical space is actually changing. But the way that we connect people and try and get people connected on a day, daily, weekly, monthly level is the same. It's just locations may differ and environments may differ slightly, but it's, yeah, you, you know, I think that, that that's really the, the only change in terms of locations. There will be changes to where people work, how they work, 
But fundamentally, what we will do, how we try and connect people, will be the same. Can you? Can we go back maybe one step, just because I think it might help people listening and and then the rest of the conversation or interpretation of it, understanding. Can you describe the physical space? Because I think some people may not understand what Work Club actually is if you, if you were to enter one of your sites, which um, obviously you have Canberra recently opened, Melbourne, which is an incredible um, space, a couple in Sydney, and I know there's growth on the way. Um, just for, again, for people who haven't experienced it before, what is the physical environment and, and, and what does it kind of look like and, and what, what spaces are available for people to use? So first of all, they're all different. The clubs, it's not, we're, we're very, we're, we're not a cookie cutter, we're not married. It's, it's a very individual approach. So maybe uh, I take Melbourne as an example, the older fleet building. It's 70,000 square meters. We've got 4,000 square meters within that building, which is a mixture of uh, the whole heritage component on the front and some space in the tower. There's a 40-story tower on the back of that heritage building. And we have workspaces within there that you can uh, lease as an individual, as a member, or your own offices. We have conference facilities, event facilities. Um, there's two bars. There's a retail uh, experience and there's a cafe experience and soon to to be restaurant experience as well. So it's it's each space is different. It's got its own identity. It's got its own brand to some extent that sits under the World Club um, brand. But we overlay that physical space. So with, with, with this set of experiences, all of our frontline team members are essentially facilitators in this ecosystem. And they have a role to play every day on how to connect our members or tenants or the wider public into this ecosystem and pull them into this set of experiences that we're creating for that building. In terms of the physical space, there's a lot of solid timber. There's a lot of raw leather. There's a lot of, you know, all our petitions are steel, so they're not aluminium. Um, everything is raw. It's not protected, meaning that we want it to change over time. We love the change that spaces um, show for use. They're quite, they're quite beautiful, the two that I've been to. Um, I would say that. It makes you feel like a bit jealous, I'd say, <laughs> in terms of, uh, you know, the timber timber tables, at least I've sat at, the chairs. It's all very well. Um, and, and have you got, like, a, a background? Is that part of your background then, um, Soren, in terms of your, your own professional training? Yeah, I've been in furniture for a long time, and I love that furniture. And every piece, I know the people that makes them, um, and how passionate about they are about these pieces. You know, it's not um, sustainability. It's not about a tick in the box for me. It's about buying things that are going to last. You know, there's nothing exclusive or luxury about that. It's just you just buy less and you buy once, basically, and then it will last. And uh, every piece that we have is going to last for a long time. It's going to look better after 10 years, better after 20 years, and so on. It's a very Danish approach, I think. You know, it's, it doesn't matter whether you're working in a factory or you're MD in Denmark. You have a nice couch, and you save up for it, and you possibly hand it down to your kids. You know, it's just, it's just part of what you do. 
it's normal. Um, and I think you see that in the spaces. There is, you know, everything is from small factories in Europe uh, or here locally made, and it's um, it will never be any different because we we work with people we know and who are passionate about what they do, and that's the same for our FNB, you know, for our partners in the FNB. You know, whether it's vineyards or food or whatever it is that we're partnering on, we want to know the people that we're partnering with and we want to work as much as possible with local partners that are as passionate as we are about what we do. Yeah, um, I'd encourage anyone who hasn't been to one of your sites to actually visit. I remember walking to the Sydney site or one of the Sydney sites for the first time and, and it does feel like it feels like a very high quality hospitality food and beverage environment. Um, it certainly has all the hallmarks in terms of the way that it's designed and the actual presence of a bar, for example, and staff serving you. But it is, you know, an integrated office space where people can having meetings over here and, and still maybe sitting at a hot work, uh, uh, a hot desk, for example. But um, I mean, that's the physical side of things. Can you can you give us a few examples as to what the um, I guess how you you drive the interaction and, and, and the kind of the Florence Guild aspect of the um, of the business, so people understand, you know, some of the ways that that comes to life. Sure. Um, so Florence kind of starts from the sort of day-to-day interactions of all of our frontline uh, team members that are really facilitators in this ecosystem. So, um, look, if, if you're a member, um, we need to get to know who you are uh, and who we can connect you with uh, within the community or within the building or what kind of experience that we're doing that would be something that you would really enjoy participating in. Um, and that's the sort of frontline uh, responsibility to to pull you into that because once you've uh, been at one or two experiences you kind of connected and you seek them yourself we've done the job from a hook perspective and now it changes to a curation perspective for you as a person because you're now part of this organism for lack of a better word where you you're, you're kind of seeking it yourself everything we do is kind of from small intimate sort of round table um, lunches that are sort of an one and a half hour, nine, ten members, people, um, up to big events and everything in between. There's kind of there's kind of a, a toolbox of about ten different experiences that we use on a regular basis. Um, some more than others, but for example, the round table, eight, nine people, one and a half hour. Um, a question is, is asked, what keeps you up at night right now? You know, and it could be work, it could be personal. Each person, I've got nine minutes. Uh, I'll go first. I'll share a couple of minutes about myself, who I am, my background, and what keeps me up right now. And then you have the rest of the nine minutes for the group to share their, their experiences with such an issue and how they've dealt with it. No opinions, no views, no judgments only experiences of how they've dealt with a similar issue and and, um, what they learned from that. Probably two-thirds of what people share is business and one-third is is personal. And what happens in such an environment is that um, after an hour and a half, it doesn't matter whether you're introvert, extrovert, whoever you are, you are connected at a different level, having shared such an experience and and in some cases people have been quite vulnerable you know maybe it's people that are sick it's family issues it's kids it's 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 not about the dog it's much more deep than that and that's why 
I would I facilitate these sometimes, and I would always start that conversation to make sure it's not superficial, but it's actually uh, you go deep. And what happens is that those eight, nine people are, are truly connected. When you leave that room, it means that you're comfortable going up to them outside of that room. And you are now part of that organism, for lack of a better word, where, where you kind of, you, you know, you belong. And, and, and you are looking out for each other as well. Is there other uh, examples in the Florence Guild uh, repertoire that you might tease out? And I guess partly I'm asking because of you've described, a, I guess, a, a personal connection um, uh, that the roundtable has evoked, but I guess I'm also thinking about creative collaborations that may or may not be part of, um, you know, your approach. I think to, to your point earlier, Michael, on friction, so we, we have events that sort of 30, 40 people, uh, which is conversations, and the whole idea is that uh, you have an expert on a topic that sets off the conversation, 10, 15 minutes, no slides, no tech, just starting the conversation. And then you, you, the objective is to bring everybody into that conversation as quickly as possible, and you have very different views and very often quite heated views of different perspectives from different backgrounds, from different, you know, whatever that may be. And, but that flexion will ultimately create a reflection post the conversation and drive some people to reflect in a way that they were really out of the comfort zone and they get, got pushed to looking at that topic from angles that they had never looked at before. And I think that's the, that's the exciting thing where you, where, where you leave that conversation, that conversation lingers on for weeks or even months with people that have been part of it and particularly when we have experiences where you are not converting, but you are disrupting people's view to an extent that they actually reflect so much they, come, they actually change their view because they've heard from different angles and it's often been heated. But if it's founded on respect and treating people with respect regardless of what view you have, it's really interesting because it's evolving people, you know, it's evolved. You're evolving as a person, whether it's professional or personal by opening up and um, being susceptible to different views, even though you, your initial reaction is defending your view and being very, you know, firm on that. But um, that friction is great. I always love that friction because it's what drives people to, really reflect i think it's like an innovation agenda off as well because if you're stuck in one way of thinking then how do you ever evolve your product your service whatever uh it is and i get that we're talking about personal interactions but from a business perspective uh that's a perceived value i would have in in and in that vein um in terms of the if i say um membership or um uh, makeup, like in terms, and I guess maybe each site's different and so on. Um, but 
are you kind of more small, medium enterprise? And the reason I'm asking is not uh, to understand the business model, but partly because I'm thinking about large scale businesses uh, that uh, might be thinking about innovation. And in a large scale workplace, obviously it's it's uh, contained and the external stimulus is to go to conferences and attend things and, you know, be challenged that way. But when you walk in through the office, you're kind of accepting a paradigm, I suppose, for 40 hours a week or whatever it is. Whereas in, and, and therefore large scale businesses often have to, you know, work outside themselves to innovate, you know, set up, you know, partnering accelerators and so forth. Do you have large scale businesses as uh, members or coming in to be challenged? Yes. Let me answer the question slightly in a roundabout way. Michael, so it's I, when I talk about the future, I call it the interdisciplinary future. It sounds a bit fluffy, but essentially what it means is that if, if you take a white piece of paper and you put a few black dots in that paper, all the um, black dots are industries and disciplines we know of today. There's not many of them. All the white is industries and disciplines we don't know of today. What we are trying to create is a physical space with as many black dots as possible. Because if, if, you know, from a selfish perspective, if I have a lot of black dots around me, um, I'm more likely to be part of the future. Because if you look back the last 10 years, disruption was really tech coming together with one or two disciplines, one or two black dots, and creating a disruption and, um, to an industry. Going forward, it's more likely to be tech plus four, five, six, seven disciplines coming together and disrupting. So, again, from a selfish perspective, I want to surround myself with as many black dots as possible because then I'm more likely to be part of creating new black dots. And whether you're a small individual, small business, medium business, you would want to be around these black dots from an opportunity perspective. If you're a big corporate, you would want to be around these black spots from a risk management perspective to make sure that you're not getting... Um, disrupted and not knowing what's around the corner. So I think it's relevant for everyone. Different angles, but it is relevant for everyone. And yes, we do have the individual up to corporates that are putting part of their teams into this environment to be part of uh, the risk management around innovation and what the future may hold. It's really fascinating. Um, and in, in the preparation, Luke uh, teased out this futurist um, question. Is this uh, part of, you know, your, is this, I don't know, um, categorize you as a futurist, but like, do you, what, when, when people say futurist, what is it? And do yourself see yourself in that vein? I don't really know what futurist is, but I'm very interested in the future. Nobody knows. <laughs> we can also just have a guess, and we're probably all wrong at the end of the day. But I, I, the interdisciplinary to me is almost math, right? Because it, it's just probability. And I'm going to put myself in a place where I think there's the highest probability for me being part of creating the future rather than being uh, overrun by somebody else who is doing it. So there's an element of math, which is just one plus one is two in my mind around this. Um, and then there's a big piece of nobody knows. All, all we do know is that 
everything changes faster. You know, tomorrow will be faster than today in terms of change. Um, you know, our ability to understand that is is not great as human beings. You know, it's very hard to get comfortable with that. And um, I think the more we can um, create a comfort level or an acceptance around the world is changing and it's changing faster than ever and it doesn't need to be a scary thing. You can you can approach it in a way where it's an exciting thing and you want to be part of it. You started the business 2012, did you say? 13, I think, yeah. 13. Yeah. How has your, I guess, your approach or your thoughts around um, the business and this could you know, be reflected in things that you've actually changed physically in the, in the spaces. Um, and I guess where I'm coming from here as well is the integration of hospitality, I think, has become, I think hospitality is playing a larger part of your business now than it was maybe a couple of years ago. Is that correct? And I think it's, yes. I it's going to form a pretty significant part of your business in the future as well as you continue to evolve. How's your thinking around the business shifted since you know 2013 and, and has the experience over the last sort of 18 months cause more dramatic shift um, as well? I think the sort of F&B is, is really, uh, yeah, it's a big growth area for us and it's an important piece of the puzzle in how we execute on what we call the connected human ecosystem. You know, food is important in, in connecting people and the fact that we don't just want to reach our own members but we need to reach tenants and buildings and the wider community means that we we, we had to move into F&B, you know, because we look at our spaces as private member spaces or members and tenants or public. And we need to access the public and we need to access the wider community around our buildings. And F&B is a critical part of that in doing that. Um, so, yes, it is going to grow and it is going to play a, a bigger role in trying to execute on this. Um we don't do three or five year plans, not even one year plans, because uh, I think they're absolute waste of time because you just do not know. And I don't want to pin ourselves into us having to do something which may or may not be right. Or rather, we rather want to be able to go right tomorrow or left tomorrow if that's what we think is the right path. So it's. F&B right now is one that we really are, are, are growing because we're seeing the, um, the benefits of, of, of that from a community perspective when we tie it all together. Do you, um, like when you're looking at conventional, maybe you don't do this, but if you are looking at, I guess, conventional office space, do you, and, and, and in terms of the CBD's discussion and returning to work and, or, you know, what the future work looks like, there's the debate that I have a professional interest for various obvious reasons, but is, you know, that like people, um, will expect their workplaces to be more collaborative, um, and 
you know, that's what large-scale employers are dealing with. So, you know, perhaps more breakout areas or uh, work workplaces for connection and um, information exchange versus the typical dog box style, you know, workstation approach. D- do you look at that um, and that discussion and that all and all the changes that are sort of being discussed in the context of that model and what you're doing and positively differentiate or do you sort of ignore what the rest of the world is thinking and just proceed with uh, let's create friction and, and, and see what happens in the Florence Guild? <laughs> More the second one. I actually have no interest in what other people are doing or what's what's happening. It's 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 always one of the heated conversations with our head of marketing because um, I say it's an absolute waste of time going researching and looking at what other people are doing. Um, I have no interest, and uh, I think we have enough of ideas that that we can explore and experiment with. Um, that may or may not work, but I don't think we need inspiration from from anyone else in doing that. I think in terms of the future of work, it's nobody knows. Again, um, my guess is that we will see, you know, two ends of the spectrum. Where I will see companies from a cultural perspective, they want their employees employees in five days a week, back to the old style, and that's a cultural decision, top down from a management perspective, that that's what they want. So we'll see that end of the scale, and we'll see the other end of the scale, which we're already seeing, is that you can work from home or uh, from wherever you want full-time. It's all about the output. And then everything in between. Uh, It's definitely here to stay that people will be working from home. And if you as a company are thinking that you can force people to come back five days a week, I think they're going to find that it's going to be very hard to retain and attract talent if that's the policy because I just think the shift has happened. The question is what's the what's the perfect combination? And I think that will come down to the individual company and what they do and what kind of collaboration that is needed, you know, face-to-face to your point earlier, Mark. And, you know, it's all about you can't generalise across industries it actually you've got to take it to an individual company level you know how is it a startup is it a very mature company where are they on their journey you know what's the importance of the cultural aspect and being together can you can you create a culture when you're apart you know in some instances you just can't and you've got to be together to create that dna before you can be more dispersed so again it's 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 a very you can come up with 20 different solutions that would be right for an individual company, right? But it, it's it's so tailored and so customized, but all, in my mind, based on culture. What is it you want to do from a cultural perspective and then uh, from a brand DNA and, and then execute from that angle, knowing that the power is with the employee at the moment rather than the employer, uh, it shifted. Yeah, it's I have some empathy with this discussion and professionally I'm you know thinking about this quite a bit and even one of the things I've uh, encouraged others to think about in the last week or two is to uh, change language um, from it's just maybe singling out people but like yeah it 
encourage visitation as opposed to driving footfall. Like there's a difference, right? Like, and, and so when I look at like an urban centre and say, you, you know, what one, an actuary somewhere would say, well, we need this many footfall, otherwise we won't hit this target equals blah, blah, blah. And my perspective is, well, how do I encourage people to be somewhere, whether it's for work or pleasure or pleasure, as I like to define my life, business and leisure together um, most of the time. Um, and, you know, in that context, it changes the way you think about uh, what a uh, place uh, that people come together is um, is for and what drives that behaviour. And I think the like I always go to the line of if I can't understand, I try and make it simpler. And so because it's getting too complicated now. And I just go back to human ritual, which is that we, we at some level, pandemic has demonstrated we want to be together. For what purpose? Well, both real or multiple purposes, really. So rather than try and define one too tightly, i.e. work life, then say, well, what can, what can we use to bring people together and then see what the outcome of that togetherness is? I love that, Michael, because that's what we do, you know, and it's kind of, it's it's not work. We actually, it, 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 it's life, you know, because what, our Florence guilt is not about business only. It's about life. It's about your mind, your health, your, you know, philosophy, arts. It's, it's any topic that we use, it's used to connect people. And what we want as an outcome is that, if you have experienced Older Fleet Work Club or the building Older Fleet, is that you want to go there. You, you know, you, you want to be there, not because your company says you need to be there, but you want to be there because of the people and because of the experience that you have when you're there. That's, that's essentially what we want to create, a destination, a, a place where people feel they belong and they want to come in. And then for some that may be social, for some that may be work, it may be collaborating, maybe all kinds of personal reasons, but essentially they feel they belong and they want to be there. It's a really interesting one to consider when we're talking. I mean, as you would know, the vast majority of the people that listen to this will be from hospitality and it's a physical workplace that needs people in it in order for them to operate their businesses. But there's, it's, it's probably, it's, it's a thought and a concept that shouldn't be lost on the sector based on that fact, I don't think. I think there's got to be ways that employers, and Mike and I were talking about this prior to coming on because of the whole talent shortage and, and ways of attracting more talent to the sector. Part of that is getting more people interested in coming to the, to the industry and interest, interested in roles that you, know, that you would typically occupy. But it's also about... Um, assisting employers become create better environments that are going to be more attractive it's, it's there's two problems there there's a, there's a lack of interest and people but there's also you know a perception problem in, in many instances around hospitality so th there's a lot that you can apply in your thinking i think into hospitality environments if, if you are you know interested in doing so because it'll it will end up attracting more people to your business and it'll probably keep them in your business for longer as well yeah, I, th I think it's, I mean, we, at the end of the day, we are, we're not, well, I was going to say two years ago, we were not experts in F&B, but we, we've, we managed to hire some great people uh, with some great help uh, to, uh, to, to tick that box now that we actually have some highly skilled people who are very capable of it. But it, it, it's workplace is hospitality, actually, you know, buildings are hospitality. It needs to be. It's about the experience, because if you think that you can just, provide hardware um, 
and call yourself a landlord, you know, like a lord, and 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 think that people are going to come in and enjoy that experience. It's not going to happen. And putting a, a tech platform in place to connect everybody, it's not going to be the solution either. You know, there needs to be a much more considered approach to that hardware. And I think hospitality is is in a great position to play a role in that. Like like I'm respecting your sort of creative outlook and the way that you're driving your business without reference to other um, business models potentially. Uh, It's fascinating to me because the – and you might find it interesting just in terms of scale, like what's the implications of workforce not returning to uh, an urban centre? And, and, you know, so from an investment of infrastructure, like from a a tax base and all the rest of it and – uh, there's a, a real concentration effect in CBDs, which have tended to be, therefore, a competitive advantage. Um, however, you know, the pressures on work style and, and talent that you've identified, I think, are real. And and when it comes to, like, how do you reimagine, you know, a city and there's this discussion of it should be CBDs, business district should be cultural district, et cetera, like kind of. But really what these ideas are trying to explore is the basis on which people are coming together and when. Like that's the that's what the the most gener- general way of um, thinking about it is, and at least from a Sydney perspective, we one of the challenges has been that um, from a, the cultural use of the city has been defined by the assumption that people come into work at nine o'clock, finish at five, and then go out afterwards. And so, Luke, for the hospitality sector that services that model, uh, when you see a decline in that overall visitation uh, to the city then obviously there's a corresponding knock-on decline to uh, venues after work or even during. And so there's a um, piece of research that we're currently conducting to unpick why people will come. And one concept, Soren, you might be interested in uh, is that the research isn't complete, but and it may not be earth-shattering, but it, it is the ability to do multiple things rapidly across a day so so i use the example um of haircut laundromat uh you know coffee with soren um business meeting with uh luke etc as an urban center can can give you that in a way that may not be as easy to do even in a remote sense or in a uh, neighborhood and so therefore if you take that line of thinking it's like well which bits of that experience are now not there uh, as a result of the financial impact and how do you bring them back. But I think that it's a you're a microcosm, if I can put it that way, I think of what, um, you know, uh, that's how I, I look at this as an almost petri dish of what what does a future CBD look like taking some of these principles? I'm really interested in, in, in cities and my view, my subjective view is that you can apply the same principles that we apply to a city. Essentially, we, we are, we're working on a project that it's, it, we haven't announced yet, but it's basically, it's a precinct. And what it is, it's, it's a major shopping center. It's a new five-star hotel. It's two residential towers and it's two office towers. So pretty much every asset group uh, combined in one major precinct where we've looked at all that hardware and we're looking at how can we connect people within that precinct better. 
And that's applying our F&B solutions, that's applying arts, curation, physical locations, so quite a lot of different kind of physical elements that we will do, overlaid with a different set of programming, trying to connect what is very different groups of people that are there short-term, longer-term, you know, they've got different angles, but it's that's what I'm interested in. And, and that that's the fascinating part where we will, for the first time at that scale, try and see how do we do that. And one day I'd love to do a city. <laughs> well, you know, it uh, wouldn't be the first time someone's decided to go and buy a town and turn it into something, you know, and I mean uh, half jokingly because I was on a drive back um, through um, from Melbourne uh, um, earlier this year and, you know, these, these questions come up uh, because – one thing that people often forget is that cities go through periods of um, evolution and urban centres go through periods of evolution. And often when uh, a car industry, for example, in Detroit declines, then the city starts, uh, you know, um, I guess uh, fraying at the edges because it can no longer sustain the big populations. But then, of course, inevitably, artists and creatives move in and take advantage of the opportunity. And then, like, next minute, you've got um, increasing real estate prices and gentrification. You know, it's a sort of like a rhythm to it but uh let's see if we can hold off some of that i think the cbds are here to stay and i think it's a short term i think people would want to come back to cbd it's not going to be five days a week but but people are coming back and i think there will be some adjustment but um they're here to stay uh what was always needed in cbd was a much more varied kind of experience you know that it's not just work and a little bit of F and B experience in the evening, you know. I think uh, we can we can be much better at that uh, in in Australia in terms of creating much more interesting shared spaces, you know, throughout the city, much more residential, much more all classes. Yeah, and 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 cultural use during the day, like it doesn't need to be confined to traditional PM hours. You just touched on it then, Soren, but you're obviously operating in our two two major cities. What are the realities of what you're seeing now? How are, how are your tenants' members um, reacting in terms of um, uh, getting their teams back into offices? Um, how are the CBDs feeling? Are there consistencies across Sydney and Melbourne that you can see or are they behaving completely differently? What, what's it like? Yeah, good question. I mean, we've just come out of the four-month lockdown everywhere, so it's been super painful for everyone in that regard. Definitely Melbourne is scarred a lot more than uh, Sydney. You can you can just feel that on team members, on members, on everyone. There is just this, uh, They've been through a lot more than anyone else, and I think there's a natural hesitation or... Yeah, pe- people are scarred, for lack of a better word. Sydney have come back pretty quick. Uh, there's definitely higher confidence. But having said that, we just last week was amazing from an F&B perspective in Melbourne with full houses. Hopefully the confidence will come back and people are just you know, really wanting to come back. We We actually had our best month ever, the month of October, in terms of new sign-ups for new members so over seven years we've never had a month like that so that shows i think that there's a disruption to the commercial market coming very very quickly you're going to be hard pressed finding any companies of any size who would want to commit very long term for any space in this environment that we're in i think we're we're just about to see that so 
I think it's an interesting time. I think people want flexibility f for all the reasons we know. You know, you don't know what's happening a year from now, little, you know, any any time in the future. You know, how can you plan for ten years, five years, when you just don't know? And I think we're starting to see that. Um, and and Michael, to your point, people want to see people. They want to socialize. They want to connect. They want to go out and get a drink and a bite to eat, and uh, they're excited about it, more excited than ever. Yeah, it's such an interesting one because at the I mean, there's different types of businesses, isn't there? But at the large scale employer end, I think that particularly for, uh, and I don't want to be too ageist about it, but one of the attractions to working in a large workplace is the social aspect, particularly if at, when you're younger, um, as you reach middle age and management and stuff, that kind of declines in in some cases, but. I mean, this is the why a lot of the F&B outlets are busy in the city. In Sydney at the moment is because people are coming into that large-scale employment network and then kind of ditching work pretty quickly, going for lunch, and then lunch turns into coffee. And then, you know, and, and employers at some level are happy for the occasion because it's team building, it's, you know, people getting together. And if they're not at their desk, it, well, this is the productivity uplift in any case. So, you know, I think that the trends are, um, that you're seeing are mirrored like in the short term, you're raising some good questions that I think everyone needs to think about, self-included as to, you know, how that story unfolds, particularly, I mean, what I'm referring to at the moment is this period of what I call staccato trading, as in it's, you know, you can't meaningfully call it as one thing or the other. And so better off just accepting that and then, you know, seeing whether the seasonality in Sydney in particular, which is my focus market, um, coming into February, is, you can sort of see a bit more normalisation at that stage, but so much, as you say, is dependent on vaccine boosters in our case and, you know, uh, new strains and so forth and how we as a society manage that. So, yeah, I think it's, um yeah, there's some, it makes for interesting discussion anyway. I'm enjoying it. I, I agree, Michael, with, with, with what you say. You know, it's that kind of, nobody can call it really. And um, if we're honest, nobody has been able to call it at any point in time anyway, you know, COVID or not. Um, but I, there's just more uncertainty now than ever, I guess, and definitely in the short term. For, for me, what, what we do is all about experimentation and um, learning. And, and it, it, it's just fascinating how, how, to me, how important F&B is and how I think important it will be going forward as well for us. So that's, that's definitely a growth area for us. You may have answered this. So apologies if you have. You wanted to create a space where there were lots of black dots on the on the paper. What was the reason behind that? What was the why did you want to create that space? Was there a, an objective that you you had? Was it around helping people evolve? Was it? I mean, what what brought about that idea in the first place? It, that's the selfish part where I think if I surround myself with as many different industries and disciplines from a personal perspective, I'm more likely to be part of the future rather than being you know, made redundant uh, as that. So it's kind of, so, so I kind of, you know, why would you not surround yourself with as many of those as possible? And, um, and, and again, that's the math equation, the probability equation that if I surround myself with as many black dots as possible, yeah. probability wise, I'm more, um, you know, inclined to be part of creating a new black dot or be part of that process. So it really, it, does, it generally comes back to yourself and, and surrounding yourself by with interesting people for you know to, to I guess enable yourself yourself to evolve basically. Yeah, and and, and I think it's it's kind of um, as a business, whether you're a business or an individual, 
if if you work in your own silo too much, you just you're just missing out. You're basically missing opportunities. You are you 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 may do great for a period of time, but it's only a question of time until you will get disrupted and you will not know what happened. Yeah, and I think I think it's so you know um, true. I support what you're saying generally, but I think in the context of rapid transition, being left out of the conversation is a major challenge. Like be, be, because things are moving so quickly. If you've got an oligopolistic market control position for a while, you can do what you, uh, sorry, mentioned earlier, which is sort of observe the competition and you know move your business around it and adjust over a period of time. But in this particular um, period in history, the yeah, like I think that you may find out the hard way um, if you if you've been left out of the conversation. It's exciting and like from what you're describing, and it's it is under the 24-hour economy lens, really a microcosm of what that our strategy is trying to achieve, which is to bring together all different aspects of business and entertainment and put it into what I call creative collisions and kind of make use this this period to say, well, this isn't, isn't this one of the most exciting things that we could possibly do? Because that we see that as the way of attracting attracting people to come live and work here, but also capital in the long in the long run to find its home here. Yeah, and, and this whole work-life balance is not, it's completely irrelevant in my mind, I, I think, because it's kind of, it's just life. You, you know, you shouldn't go to work at nine and become someone else that you're not. You know, you should be able to come to work at nine or whatever time you want to and be yourself, right? And, and not have to leave anything at the door. And, and I think the world is changing is that in that way that companies that won't allow for that, it's just, again, they're going to lose talent, they're going to not perform optimally and i think if you the approach we have to people is a human approach is a life you know it's 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 just life you happen to work at work club during certain hours a day but uh, you bring all of yourself all of the quirkiness you don't leave anything at the door whether you're a team member whether you're actually a member of work club or whether you're a visitor you're just you know we 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 celebrate that and we want to create a safe environment where you feel that you can do that without, you know, being afraid of a job or being judged or whatever that may be. Well, mate, thank you very much for your time. We're going to go through the final questions quickly. I know we've got a couple of minutes to go, but we'll jump in. What is your favorite book uh, that you've read recently or a podcast that you listen to religiously? I used to read a lot of books. I haven't read a lot lately, but I've actually just got back to a book I read a while ago, um, The Book of Titans by Tim Ferriss. It's kind of hacks around, you know, all the interviews he's done and he's kind of, he wrote it for himself, which was really learning for smart people, whether it's business or entertainment or F&B, whatever it was that, you know, what what they their routines, for lack of a better word, you know, so basically what did they do? So, he, so he's picked, all these people and write a couple of pages on each in terms of their hacks. Some are health hacks, some are just better performance. And I just find it interesting. Yeah, so I've gone back to see if I can get some hacks, more hacks. You know, I'm turning 50 next year. Anything to do with age is probably a good thing at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I've read that book as well. It's great. I actually re- just rediscovered his podcast, which I, I kind of fell out of step with because it's so, there's such long form podcasts that it, you can, you can, uh, you can lose your way a little bit, but it's, um, it's a great book. Album or artist that you're listening to right now, or it could be of all time, your go-to. 
Oh, I'm on Spotify at the moment, so I'm back into the 80s and 90s, you know, with my the Peshmo, the Cure, even Metallica. I've got the great, and it's all live concerts, so a, a lot of sort of live performances of them. So um, the one I'm hearing the last few days is, is Metallica, which is a live gig at uh, in San Francisco, the Masonic. This is just, yeah, good old stuff. That is very, mate, I... I also just rediscovered Metallica last week. It's very, very odd timing. Um, drink, what's your go-to? Uh, at the moment, I think it's a gin and tonic. I think that's kind of the preferred, that's the family preferred. Any uh, gin that you want to call out? Uh, Ken, my bartender in, in, in one of the clubs in Sydney, he's giving me all these different kinds that I'm trying, but it's all, um, I'm not going to give a name. I am... Um, uh, is it NNN? What's it, what's it called? Uh, NN? It's all small boutique, not of the mainstream stuff, but I'm, I'm testing it all from left to right. So, <laughs> You sound like Michael Rodriguez. Um, in terms of venue, where will you, well, I mean, you can go domestic or international, but um, favourite venue? Oh, I love Cellini's in uh, London. And uh, locally, I've got to say, Hemis have done a great job with birds up at Newport. I think that's a great spot. Very expensive steak, but great steak. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just, just a really nice atmosphere. I mean, he's doing a great job in terms of creating these locations. Mm. And um, finally, who, are the in- who in the industry sorry, are you most inspired by? I'm not looking at anybody in my industry, but maybe just to Hemmers, you know, on his, I think what he's doing and his, uh, you know, each of his locations are very different. He's he's able to create identities that are different um, at scale, which is quite impressive. I think that's really, he's a standout probably in Australia, I would say. Yeah, nice. It comes up a lot. Um well, mate, thank you very much for your time. Um, we really appreciate it. And um, best of luck with, I know you've got some new openings and reopenings and, and a lot of other stuff in the pipeline. So um, good luck with it all. And uh, yeah, thanks for your time. Thank you, Luke. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it.